You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 9, episode 34. Uh, I'm John, I'm your host for this evening, and joined by John, how are you doing? Yeah, good as usual, um, apart from Saturday, but we'll skip that. <laughs> aye, we just want to talk about it, aye. Yeah. Uh, so Chris can't be on tonight, uh, he's got other engagements, and we have got a, I was going to say returning guest, but he's kind of like a new guest because of what happened last time with the, the recording not working, unfortunately, so... The, the new returning guest. <laughs> yes, uh, so maybe a first in the podcast. So we've got current Carnoustie Pan Muir manager and it's Aberdeen did Fairland Don Carter and Vanessa one of our team's uh, player uh, Phil McGuire how you doing? I'm fine guys how are you? Yeah good yeah good glad to have you back on and you weren't put off by the last experience no, well, it's fine well there's always technical difficulties at some point um, so it's, a, it's the returning of the former guest um, yeah. <laughs> come back from Lazarus Phil McGuire 2.0 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, so I may as well go kind of straight into it. Um, currently, obviously, as we mentioned, managed by Carnoustie Panmuir, flying high in the East Junior League. Um, mm-hmm. And then, big, we've got you on that good time to get you back on. You've got a massive <laughs> game in the weekend. We've, uh, it's, uh, massive game, yeah. I think. I think if you were to look about the juniors, it's it's probably the um, game of the weekend again. I know there's um, some ties in the Scottish Scottish. It's been um, postponed from last weekend, but in terms of opportunities for you know first v of currently first v third, um, current league champions against the team that's top of the league, you know it's uh, it's an attractive game for the neutral, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the job that you've been doing, there, I remember when you got when you got the job, um, they were quite near the bottom, can now stay and I remember seeing your results and there was a lot of goals involved, let's um, put it that way, and I think you finished, yeah. what, seventh in the league, was it in the end, seventh or eighth? Yeah, we ended up, we ended up finishing seventh last year, um, which I think was, was the highest the highest uh, finish. Um, I think you're right in what we say, is when, when we did come in, you know, the, the team was sort of, sort of floating down the bottom, and they had done for quite a number of years um, as much as there was progression in there um, there definitely was progression but you know the league positions weren't improving year on year you know um, you know league structures and setups and, and so forth games throughout that period you know some years getting more points than the previous year or getting less points and finishing finishing higher in the league um, but they always were floating sort of between the you know 13th, 12th, 11th position so I think for us coming in, it was trying to get that consistency and week in, week out, you know, not just knowing that um, you can go and win two or three games, but at the same time losing four or five in a row, you know, we had to get that consistency and if that was turning the defeats into draws and the draws into victories, that would soon sort of propel us up the league, you know, because um, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, you, you want to be as successful as you can be with the squad that you've got and, you uh, um, Resources um, and for us, you know, we finished seventh, and you know, we had we finished the season on a high, reached the cup final. Um, unfortunately, we lost that game against Broughty, um, where I felt, you know, we probably merited the victory and how we come back being two 0 down. 
Um, but yeah, it wasn't to be. But I think the players, you know, they they, they took on board that day of what we'd actually did over the six seven months and believed that you know we could take it forward the following season with a few you know extra players getting a good season under us and uh, you know we've 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 done really well this year and full credit to the players they deserve the the position of being top of the league where they've led from you know the first game of the season all season um there's been games you know with like what you said john we you know we've we've scored Plenty of goals, um, you know. We've never scored as many, and we've n- never conceded as less either um, than what we've done. Um, so you know that's credit to, to obviously the, the defenders, but as a as a unit, um, and you know we're enjoying it and we want to keep it going. But we know there's a lot of hard work, there's a lot of big games, there's a lot of twists and turns. Um, ultimately, at the start of the season, that was to finish in the top half of the league. Um, and yeah, you get a bit greedy. Of course you do. I think as players, you, you know, when you see yourself in that position, you want more and you want to bring more successes. But we know that, you know, we've got to work hard to, to achieve that. Um, and we will always take one game at a time. And, and where that takes us, we'll then deal with it at, at any given time. So you know, going to Saturday, you know, a big game on Saturday against Lockie. Um, albeit we're, you know, I think we're eleven clear at this stage. Um, but they've got games in hand, you know, but for me, it's about putting the points on the table and, you know, that's the first and foremost. You can't lose that when you've got the points on the table. So we'll, we'll see see where we are at the end of the season. What's been the main difference this season? Was there much change in terms of personnel over the summer? or? No, not really. Um, I think, you know, we've brought in, um, in the summer, I think we've brought in three players um, just in key areas that added a bit of you know experience um, a bit more of a goal threat um, complemented how I felt the team we had should play um, but I think you know coaches and managers it's, it's when you come in you know I come in what sort of four months into the season it's always difficult because you're. It's almost as if you're playing catch up. You know, you're you're getting to know the players. You know, you're seeing them at close quarters and training. You know, what they're good at, what they're not so good at, what they need to work on, um, and I believe that getting a solid pre-season um, has massively helped the team in terms of how we wanted to play, how we connected the team from you know goalkeeper to defender to midfielders and attack. How we wanted to you know, play through the passages of uh, play and, and, you know, dominate games really is, and, and we have done that by and large throughout the season, you know, we've dominated dominated games by you know, you only have to look at some of the stats in terms of chances created you know, I think we average about 18-19 attempts at goal every game you know, so we're doing something right and that tells me that, you know, that all comes from the foundations of working in pre-season and getting a solid pre-season, working on the fitness, um, and you know throughout the course of the season, relatively been injury-free. You know, last year one of the biggest gripes that I had was the amount of players that had you know muscle injuries. Whereas this season we've you know we've we've tailored the training slightly different. You know, we've brought you know a little bit of professionalism that maybe I've experienced or some of the coaches have experienced in the past, and trying to adapt that on a you know a part-time level. You know, for me, as much as it's part-time football, you can still have a full-time mentality in terms of how you prepared and how you, 
you know, went into training session and games, and that's what we've kind of done. You know, we've utilised the the gym, we've utilised swimming pool and recovery sessions, strength and conditioning, video analysis. So they're getting the little pieces of what a professional setup would get. Um, obviously, again, within the resources that we've got, um, but I think it's it's paid dividends because you know we've not really had that length of injury list that we encountered last year. We had five, six, seven players out at different times. You know, and it's difficult then to get players to gel, play week in, week out, and, and get to know each other. And and unfortunately, we've been able to do that this year. And I think it's it's proved fruitful in terms of how we've played and how we've. Um, won games um, and, and stuck together as a team definitely and how key so on you go on you go no, on you go John I was just going to say how, how key has um, the impact of uh, former professional Jamie Winter um, been and obviously it was an easy pull for you to get him given the fact that he's a relative yeah um, I mean obviously Jamie's my brother-in-law and things but um, I think over the last you know four or five years um, that Jamie's been involved in juniors there's, there's always been rumours that I'll go to this club or go to that club or Jamie might come here and things but we've always you know we've bounced ideas off and I've always been honest with Jamie and um, you know whatever club we've been at and I think having him you know in the squad not just the experience that he brings because he's obviously played at the, the highest level but he's you know he's a motivator and you know he's a leader that he doesn't need an armband, um, you know, because players respect him. Um, and when you've got that respect, and when you know other players see somebody like a Jamie Winter that you know is applying himself in training, um, he's dominating games again with legs around him as well to do that bit of work, you know. But Jamie doesn't hide from the work rate side, you know. It kind of breeds through the team. Um, you know, he's a team player, um, and I think you know having that experience there. Um, and again, not just experience, but Jamie's a good player, you know. Um, he doesn't waste passes. He, he knows when to play, when not to play. He can take the pressure off the team, taking the ball in, you know. And different spells during games where we're maybe under the cosh and, you know, Jamie has been able to take the ball and just settle us down, you know. That's, you know, that's paid dividends throughout the season. And we've got other players now that are buying into that and they're able to then you know, lead the game, and, and that's what I'm finding, that we've got, at any given time, we've got three, four, five players on the park that can, you know, just put their foot on the ball and dominate the tempo of the game, um, which is important in the junior game. How did you manage to fill the time the last couple of weeks with the weather and postponements and different things like that? Uh, yeah, listen, it's frustration. I think if you ask any guy that's involved in football, whether it's professional, whether it's um, amateur, part-time, junior, or just, just the fan, when you've got games off and what do you do on your Saturday, you know, as much as you like scores coming in, it's uh, it's it's not the same as playing, it's yeah. not as um, You know, we've, a couple of things are kind of mixed, we've been able to, um, you know, train, we've managed to train on Saturday there, which was fine. We got a good session, good solid session. The week before, it was a little bit, it was a little bit back to front because obviously we turned up for the game. The pitch was past playable. I just finished my team talk and then I get a knock on the door. You know, ten minutes before kick off the game's then off, so there's nothing you can really do. Yeah. You know, tell the guys, listen, just go and prepare well, go home. You know, 
go to the pub if you want to take the weekend off and we start fresh on the Tuesday. Um, fortunately for me, I've obviously got um, my kids that are involved in football, so that filled in the time. Um, I'll be just in a bit of family time, which has been unexpected, you know, throughout the season when you get little opportunities like that. I think it's important that you, you know, you use it well if it's with the family and the wife and kids want to do something or taking in their games and stuff. Um, you know, it, it's 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 been good that way. Um, but at the same time, it's also frustrating on the other side. Yeah, I suppose at least the good thing is though that Lockie have had the same break. They've not been able to play the last couple of weeks as well. Yeah, I mean, that was always the case. I think, um, I think the way the fixtures were was we both played and then we had a free week, which was Saturday. We had a free week anyway um, before we played, which wasn't ideal, but it is what it is. Um, but I think the fact that both teams haven't played, you know, I think you've also got both teams that go into the game with suspensions now because they've carried on because the games haven't been played. You know, that's just, again, the way it is. Um, and I think, you know, for us, you know, it's just about obviously winning the game. Um, respect Lockie and we know that um, they're the league champions and they can beat anybody but you know we want to test ourselves we've got to work hard you know um, we see where that takes us Uh, likewise Lockie you know they've probably got to they have to probably beat us um, for you know results to maybe swing in their favour but again it's important that you know the league won't be won and lost on Saturday and there's still you know, seven games to go after that, so I still think there'll be plenty of twists and turns, and I think it'll be the team that's, that's most consistent over the season. Um, but we'll earn that that tag of being league champions, and we just want to be in the mix, be as close as we can, pushing it week in week out until you know someone says oh, we've got no games left, we can't win the league. You know, as long as there's games there to be won, um, we'll go out and try and win them to to try and achieve something that um, we believe that we, we, we can we can do if we work hard and, and carry a wee bit of luck along the way. Yeah. There's obviously a bit of uncertainty about the, the junior game right now because there's statements coming out right, left, right uh, and centre um, about yeah. the East of Scotland League and the, the West of Scotland League. Um, it seems like a lot of ju- teams are jumping ship. Um, where do you stand um, personally? Well... I remember I Thurnus said some, but I can't remember off the top of my head, to be honest, Phil. Yeah, I think, um, first and foremost, I think there has to be a pyramid system. Okay. Now, the makeup of that and how it works, I don't have the answers to completely. Um, I don't know if they've all been explored, you know, because it seems to be the same thing year on, year out. You know, my, my biggest gripe that I have within that sort of setup is, okay, there's a cut-off point for teams being accepted. Fair enough, okay? But just be honest about it. You know, if a team wants to leave and go elsewhere, then, you know, make it public knowledge so that, you know, juniors can then adjust. Because leagues, you know, if you've got a 16-team league or you've got a 10-team league or a 12-team league, if you leave one team, it's no ideal having a free week every week for one team. You know what I mean? So the juniors then have to adjust. Um, likewise, you know, these cut-off points, I don't know when it is, if it's March the 12th or, you know, or April, whenever it is. March the 7th, I think. Is that what it is? I think. For me, if a team then decides afterwards, they shouldn't then be accepted for that season. It has to then be the next season. You know, so I think there's elements in the rules get bent, um, which I don't agree with. Um, For me as a club, is you know, it's to be ambitious as we can be. 
Um, could we jump into the Lowland League in the east of Scotland just now? Probably not. Um, just purely on finances and things. Um, I think there's been a lot of things said that teams were promised this amount of money or they'll get this, and it hasn't materialised. Um, and I think if a lot of clubs are honest with themselves, they'll they'll know that. They're maybe not speaking about it, but I think secretly they maybe jumped too early into it. Um, I know the I know the construction of the the conferences in the in the Lowland and the East of Scotland of um, sorry the East of Scotland of are staying the same for this year, but then I think next season, sorry, not next season, the season after, they're going to change possibly into a League 1, League 2 scenario. So you could still have the likes of, I'm using an example, a St Andrews United, and they could end up playing, you know, 10 teams could all be south of Edinburgh or, so, or further, you know, the, the further the place is. So how does that logistically help teams, you know, to, how does it bring money in if they're spending more to their travel you know, it's, I just think it works in England, you know, you've got a pyramid system in England um, from semi-professional clubs, why can't it work here, you know, is it a case of, you know, the winners of the, the East region and the West, they play a playoff and then it goes into the, you know, the Highland League playoff and then the Lowland League play, you know, how it currently works. It's an extra game. You know, if I, if I look at the playoff systems within the SPL and the championship, I think one team could potentially play six games yeah. before they be promoted. So why can't we then do that in a pyramid system? You know, I don't know. Um, I think... You know, I think, like you say, there's pros and cons. Uh, um, I, I, I think we should have a pyramid system. Um, I don't agree with, you know, all the teams just suddenly leaving because I think there's been plenty of teams that's maybe just jump on the bandwagon and and maybe there's some teams that's it's properly thought out, you know. Um, but for me and Kamusti, the problem we've probably got is that we sit in probably no man's land, you know. Um, is it the Highland League cut-off point, the border? Is it the Lowland League? I don't know. I think it's probably the Highland League. But how could how could it be sustainable for us to travel in a Highland League game to Wick Academy? Unfortunately. Well, that's the um, they had, I think they had a cup game because they play you know that kind of intercup things with the Highland League and the juniors up there. I believe that the, when we played them the other week. We had a game up in Wick, and I think they left at 6.30 in the morning. Now, we would have to leave at 5 a.m. <laughs> Realistically, we need to sleep over. You know, yeah. how, how could that be economically um, worthwhile for us um, when every single game is a, is a bus trip and it's a minimum of probably two hours, realistically? Um, where the furthest point could be four, five, even six hours, you know. Um, I don't know. It's it's a it is a difficult one. Um, and then you, you know the Lowland League. Do you want Glasgow teams or do you want South of Edinburgh teams? Do they want to be travelling all the way up to this way? Probably not. It's you know. But I think we're stuck in the middle. And that's that's a disappointing factor. That there's not a, a one for all. Um, there has been talks in the juniors that. Potentially with the new setup, um, I know that um, it was brought out that um, 
I think they voted on the current setup as it is. You know, you've got the East Super North and the East Premier North, and you've got obviously the South East, sorry, the South Super and the South Premier. And the winners obviously come. It could stay the same. Um, if, if teams leave, potentially it could become regionalised. So for us, in our case, we've got the East Super and the North. Those teams merging. Um, and I know there's been grumbles where oh, what, what are them teams playing for? They can't relegate. Um, but the fact of the matter is, in the Super League, you can't go any higher currently. You know, when you win the league, that's your reward. You're at the highest level in junior football. You can only win that league. Yes, you can be relegated from the Super. But when you, if you're in the Premier, you can only be promoted and you can't be relegated anyway. So by merging it, you know, for me, I think it's, you know, it could be a better option for the likes of more local teams, you know, your, your Breaking Bits, your Fourth Albions, um, your Arbroaths, you know, these types of teams, because they would get bigger gates. I would hope they would get bigger gates with them being part of a Super League, a 16-team league, for example, you know, with Lockheed, Brody, yourself, the Downfield, your North End, your Tateports, they're getting a chance. Um, and, I, and I would hope to think that, you know, some of the young players coming through, that they can maybe get more young players coming into these teams as well um, because they're playing at the higher league. They're playing against better quality teams, you know, and it, and it works better way. The fact of the matter is, and, you know, if you're playing in a better league with better players, you will come on as a player yourself, you know. Um, so hopefully it would then bring the standard up again. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And like you say, you're right in what you said, that there's 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 been a lot of muted responses, there's ifs and buts, and really, you know, we don't really know what's happening. But for me, for the juniors, I think we need to be proactive. We need to be looking at things moving forward. Um, one of the big things that I'm an advocate for is, you know, why are we under two different jurisdictions, effectively? You know, if you're in the Lowland League, you can, you can have seven subs. If you're in the juniors, you can only have five subs. What's the point in that? Why not just be universal? You know, yeah. seven, seven subs allows teams to then potentially bring through younger players. I know that we could do that. We could get maybe more under seven teams on the bench. Um, there's not a cost implication to that, you know, because you look at some of the subs now. If a team can't field five subs, I've, we've played games where last year we can only name two subs. You know, so it doesn't change that dynamics of it, but it just gives the option to keep a squad happy. It keeps the squad more involved. It allows you to bring through younger players and breed them through, get them more game time potentially. Because you can list them on the bench, um, and I think that's a more positive step. It also aligns junior football with SFA rules um, in terms of seven subs. You know, so I think that's little things like that kind of makes sense if we can start doing that then it starts to make things maybe a little bit easier um, you know if you look at Lockie if I use them as an example this season so in a league game in, in, a, in a, the Scottish Junior Cup they can name five subs but when they played in the Senior Scottish Cup they can name seven subs you know it just, it just doesn't make sense that you know so let's come under one rule you know seven subs um, same sort of format, you know, so at least we've got that in, in house. And then if there's anything, how we change league construction, whether it's lowland, highland, pyramid systems, at least we're then not having to change those rules, you know. Just maybe it's just common sense. <laughs> common sense. Which is sad to market, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but we'll, we'll move, move on a yeah. little bit to um, the back on side stuff, which Kinders have also been uh, big advocates of this season. Uh, Jamie's an ambassador. Um, yeah. How did it all start for um, the club, Phil? 
Um, well, I mean, for the club, there's obviously myself and um, Mark Johnson, general manager. We've, you know, we've experienced at close quarters, you know, a, a sort of mental health side of things in terms of former player and and things. Um, young Jack Singh, who was at St Andrews with us on loan from Forfa, who unfortunately um, at a very young age, you know, couldn't find a way out, um, and he did what he felt was right at the time. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he took his own life. Um, so I think it goes back a number of years from the junior side on that. Um, myself personally, I've, I've seen it with other players um, through the professional game. Uh, and obviously when back on side, we heard about the, the good work that they were doing and the visibility they were trying to you know, achieve and, and market and, and make more people aware within the game that it's okay to speak, it's okay to be not okay. Um, we just seen that opportunity to, first of all, do what's best for our club and have that facility there if we ever had players that felt in that position. Um, and secondly, also then, you know, markets and, and, and spreads that awareness through our own social media outlets. Um, you know, the more people that we let know and the more people that are aware, then hopefully, you know, it helps just one person. Um, hopefully it helps a lot more. Hopefully it gives people the courage to speak. Hopefully it um, you know, encourages others to ask the questions as well um, and not, not notice the signs when things maybe aren't right. Um, you know, there's a whole host of pros in this. Um, and for us, it was a, it was a no-brainer. And we're, we're very proud to, to be um, focused on that charity, to be sponsors of that charity, to promote that charity. Um, because we, as a club... Certainly this season, um, you know, we've went through some, you know, very low points, um, none more so than um, just in the recent couple of weeks uh, with our under-17s player um, passing away uh, two weeks ago. So to be able to rely on support and have that network um, is, 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 you know, priceless. Um, and, and we want to continue that and we want to make more people aware and more people to follow it. I mean, where do you stand in where um, you know you obviously came, um, when you were at Aberdeen um, there was no social media it was only just um, it was long before it became a thing um, but the worst you would have probably read was uh, match reports and um, hotline people calling in um, yeah. you know what happens when you read comments on that would they be hurtful to you or is it just a case of uh, just deal with um, it yeah do you know what listen there's if I was to look at um, 20 years ago, coming through the system and playing first team, um, I mean, even 10 years ago, um, that's how short a space of time it is. There's certain things that happen now um, that, sorry, there's certain things that happened then that you just would not get away with now, you know? Um, and that's that's in a host of different ways in and around the dressing rooms, managers, coaches, what happened, you know, contractual issues, you're not playing for this, you're away with the reserves, you're away with the youth team, you're training on your own. Um, you've got your match reports. Yeah, listen, see, for me, a match report is a match report. You know, that's that's an opinion. Um, you know, you have 
20,000 in a stadium, you have 6,000 in a stadium, everyone's got different opinions and entitled to that, but it's how that opinion then comes across, and you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to obviously be constructive in it. Um, I think I probably, after a few years, you probably then started to get some of the, the forums, you know, you had these chat forums, and you know, for me, I think the purpose was to maybe try and bring fans closer together, um, but I think that also opened up a whole host of issues with, you know, certain people maybe saying things um, unrelated to football, um, you know, spiteful things, or, you know, some people just generally thinking that they know something, you know, they're in the know, and in fact it's completely false, you know, and, and I've seen that, you know, at close quarters with myself, I've seen that with close quarters with other players, and thinking, no, that, that wasn't true, you know, but because someone said it, on a social media aspect that then opened up grounds for someone else to discuss it. And then journalists look at these things, we're no daft. You know, that was the first that was probably the first port of call was what what's the next hot story? And they would look at some of these chat forums and something would be there and, and could it be fabricated in the story. Yeah, nine times out of ten it probably did. Um but yeah, social media uh if used in the correct way is a fantastic tool. We you know we can't deny that. You know the, the awareness, the marketing. You know what you can achieve, uh, what you can see. You know the, there's so many positives that social media bring, but at the same time, there's so many negatives. And for me, it's how that's moderated. Um, and you know I think first and foremost, you know if you're looking at Facebook or you're looking at you know these types of platforms. I just don't understand why it's not a passport that has to be input to identify someone because then you know who's hiding behind, you know, the the secret, you know. Um, Keyboard warriors. Yeah. yeah. No, if you have to physically put in your passport number, okay, and it's linked to that address, then, you know, we've seen it just in the last couple of weeks. You know, we could have a trial by media. Mm-hmm. How could that be fair? How is that fair? On anyone that has to go through that and has to be ridiculed that way, who has to be perceived to be this person that maybe they're not, and they're, you know it's hard enough potentially, you know, trying to fight your own battle. But when you're actually then trying to fight thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially millions at times from a social media, so how is that fair? Yeah, exactly. we've seen it. We've seen that a lot, a fair bit in terms of recently high-profile cases in football, like Sir Lee Griffiths. That's exactly. taken a major one. In- it is, it is. And Some of the things that are said are disgraceful. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Of course it is. Of course it is. And, and this is where, you know, you, you've got to separate the the football aspect, that person on the pitch. Um, see for that 90 minutes. See if, you know, a player didn't have a, the best of games and, you know, and, and he gets abuse. It's inside the stadium. I think most players would accept that. That's just part and parcel of the game. Getting booed, you know. Yeah. Oh, you're crap. You've had a, you know, you've had a round of game. Most players know they put hands. Came with. I was crap today, you know. But when when it starts getting personal, and you know, you could be out, you know, a quiet meal with your wife, your children, and then someone feels they have to say something that's wrong, you know. Um, fortunately, I, you know, I never really had that. Um, but again. It, some players could potentially bring it on themselves as well. Um, you know, if 
I'm just going to use an example here. Let's say a team was on a bad run, for example, lost three, four, five games, and they're continually seen in the town, for example. I think that then attracts that type of behaviour. Um, doesn't necessarily make it right, but it does attract it. Okay, but you know, if you have people, you know, want to have a quiet meal with their wife, yes, they've not had a great game, or yes, the team's lost, but that's their family time. I don't think it gives someone the right to then comment on, oh, I've seen such and such out. He was such as this. He wasn't bothered because he was with his wife and kids. That's that's just normal. You know, if you have a bad day at work, John, or you know, either of you is, you know, do you first of all start then thinking about, oh, I can't go out because if someone sees me, it could be on social media. Uh-huh. That's not like, you know, it's, exactly. It's, it's, there's a time for expect- expectation that footballers yeah. are public property, which is that's it. And, and, I, and I think what you dodgy also, ground. Uh-huh, and I think what you also have is, you know, some players or maybe fans in general maybe think that you know they're untouchable. You know, they're there. You know, in Scotland, I don't think they're untouchable. I think you, you know. The higher you got when you look at the English League and the Premiership, you know, you've, you've got your superstars, of course you have. And social media plays a big aspect of their brand. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that they're, these are global superstars. But if you're talking about, you know, your, your, your average player, you know, that, you know, spends season upon season at the club, he does his best, he's a club guy, he, you know, he does his appearances, he does his charity work, he, he visits schools, but then all of a sudden he just gets absolutely pillared on social media and he's this and he's that, his wife's this, and, you know, where do you draw the line? Because for me, it's, it's, it's it should be a criminal offence. You know, yeah. if it's restricted to papers and, and, and match reports, it's, it's an opinion. But once things start getting personal on social media and, you know, with people camping out in their homes or, you know, saying all sorts of like family members and this and that, you know, there has to be a line drawn. Um, yeah. And how it's more, it's, I think that's a, a police thing. I think it's a government thing. And I think it's also the social media platform yeah. issue, how that's moderated. So. Yeah. And I think we could still be speaking about this in three years' time, um, or five years' time, because I don't see where it, it's going to stop. Yeah, before. I know, that is the worry. Um, I was speaking to um, Gary Dempsey um, just before yeah, um, yeah. You, you came on, so that um, that will come out as a, um, a separate podcast in itself, because he spoke mm-hmm. so openly. Um, but the big story that he was obviously involved in was uh, a young uh, development yeah. fan, eight years yeah. old, getting um, told he's rubbish at football and he's fat and uh, he's, you know, he hated himself for it and mm-hmm. uh, the dad tagged Gary in. and Gary being what Gary does, you know, he's a man of positivity um, from yeah. what you see with the videos, straight in and he's organised a game of football tomorrow night and I just think that's tremendous and, and that's the good of social media, that's the sort of thing that Mark Zuckerberg, exactly. when he created Facebook, wanted, not the mm-hmm. trolls who put in fake pictures, fake names, who um, go out and troll people. Yeah. But that's, I mean, and, and this is where we're, we're then saying, and, you know, I think there's there's different things that you take, and, and, and for me, it's always, I think it's you go back to basics, and it's how you're brought up, and it starts from home. Um, you know, I I was bullied at school. Did I have to deal with social media? No, I didn't. I had to deal with a bully. You know what I mean? And it was one bully. That was it. Um, my young kid, you know, he's went through a phase of a, a difficult period, um, and it all hinged around social media. 
that's that's what the bully was social media and people jumping on the bandwagon and you know i look at certain things you know and, and certainly in the last couple of weeks you know with young um uh adam who tragically took his life uh, two weekends ago he was he trained with us um he was just an under 17s of our youth team um and it's hit them hard but you know the things that um our generation now, our kids that we've brought them into, you know, for me, they talk about bubbles and if our kids aren't in that bubble and in that, yeah, you're not cool because you've not got your Instagram, you've not got your Facebook, you've not got this, you've not got the best trainers and you don't speak to the most popular person, kid. It's it's totally social media dominated. So if you're outside that bubble, I actually fear for the children now. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, you know, we've spoken before. It's like a fake reality. Yeah, exactly. And you know, whereas our generation, you brought brought up, sometimes it's oh, you are a bit different, but that's what makes you unique, and that's what makes it acceptable. You know, yeah, he's a wee bit different. You know, but maybe bring something else to the table. Whereas now, if you don't fit into a social media profile, and you're not part of that, then you know it spreads like wildfire, and it's it, it, it's frightening. You know, and it's absolutely frightening that in today's era of life is now judged on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. That is it for children of it's now grown up in this and is that our fault? I think we've got a part to play in that. Um but I think, you know, if you hold the values and you look at the trolls, you look at the bullies that utilise social media, you know, they're no different than the real bullies 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, that maybe hid behind a name and that fear. You ha- we have to stand up. If that means standing up to social media and speaking out, then we have to do it. We need to utilise social media in the right context to, to provide positivity to those that maybe just need that little bit of positivity in their life to make the correct decisions yeah it's as you rightly say everyone's got a role to play you know it's it's not just uh, the media who um have a role to play it's everyone um and we need to more so i mean we're all you're also involved in yeah on back inside game at the end of the season um in the 17th may which i spoke to gary about as well and you've got um the bigger one at broadwood on the 29th of march how how key are these when uh, these events uh to back on site i think um you know John, we go back, obviously, um, the last one that I did for yourself with the Beats and uh, Cancer, um, two years two years ago now. Yeah, um, year and a half, yeah. Year and a half, and yeah, we were victorious, uh, which is great, <laughs> yeah. and we want that to continue. But, you know, building on from that, you know, these these events, again, it's, it's an impact that um, it's probably what we don't see. Uh, and knowing obviously back on side, knowing Libby well, you know, they were up, um, we had them up on Thursday evening, uh, Libby and Gary, um, speaking to our under 17 just regarding the, the recent events that had tragic, tragically happened. You know, it's important and we'll have players that will reach out to them. Um, and for back on side, what you, what, what, what I know is that, you know, that they're helping hundreds and hundreds of people um 
and it's the ones that you don't hear about, you know, that's just silently goes away and they fix the problems. It's absolutely fantastic. But to be able to do that, they must be in a position of having those funds, raising that awareness, making sure that people know that it is okay not to be okay. It is okay to, to you know, to cry as a man, um, as a woman, uh, to open up. It is okay that, you know, life isn't what you thought it would be, you know, because everything's fixable. Everything is fixable. Um, and the more awareness that we do of that, the more funds that we can raise for these events, whether it's through charity games, ex-pros, um, other players that uh, you know are, are part of society, um, bringing them closer. You know, ex-players playing with you know fans. That's great. It's fantastic because it's then showing that you know we are all one. No one's different. I'm not different from you two guys. Yes, I played football. I did something that I loved, but I'm not different. You're quite a bit you know, different from me and him. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not different. You know, we're all inside. You know, we're all built the same way. Externally, yes, we've got different features and, and and so forth, and you know, we've got different characteristics that way. But we're all built. We're all vulnerable at some point. At what point that is, who knows. But what we don't want is to have that vulnerability to be to the extent where we feel there isn't a way out, you know. Yeah. So for us and, you know, the, the the charity games that we do, whether it's, you know, the game that we've got in March, we've also got the game in May, um, it's so crucial to, to spreading that word and having the resources available when a person needs it. Um, and there's obviously other charity events that go on throughout the year and to raise that awareness. We've got the ball, we've got, you know, auctions and, 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 and gifts, you know, uh, charitable donations. It all counts, all goes to the same cause to, to provide that resource and that advice and help for someone that really does need it. Yeah, it was Jamie White up doing his firewalk recently as well, wasn't he? He was doing the firework, but he had to make sure that he was going to play in Saturday. Was going to play. But, <laughs> um, but no, there's there's a there's a there's a, a, a classic example. You know, Jamie's did um, the firework again, went out his comfort zone. Um, you know, and, and and again, it's it's something where you see people come together. You know, Jamie, I think he raised, I think it was seventeen hundred pounds or something. It's phenomenal. You know, it's a great amount of money to go and just to give. You know that that could that could provide the support for someone. That could provide the help, the resources. You know, and 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 it's and it's all in, in different ways of that help that that person needs. Whether it's it, mental help, whether it's you know also physical help in terms of you know nowhere to live, they find themselves you know the no money, you know, they're out of their house, whatever it could be, you know, they're there to try and support and they won't turn in and run away. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a fantastic charity and I'm proud to be, to be associated with it. I'm proud to be part of the games that we're going to be playing. Um, and I'm proud for the club to, to be, um, one of the, the, the sponsors of it and promoting it. Fabulous. And the, the thing that I, um, that struck me a lot about the, the last game that we played was, um, you know, obviously, you and the other, the other three ex-professionals and amongst the uh, guys that are fans, we're 
probably not at your levels you can appreciate, but it was how patient you guys were with us. You weren't shouting about it, weren't effing balling it, because you get a lot of people no. in, like, in regular, uh, well, my experience, regular seven-a-side games who think they're above it mm-hmm. and just moan and moan and moan, but you guys just couldn't have been more understand of how crap we were. <laughs> Well, thanks for that. Um, no, us as no. Um, fans, not you, Chris. Oh, no, I, I'm <laughs> feeling that way and, 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 and saying the kind words. But, you know, for me, it's... Listen, we... Or I can't speak on other players' behalf, but I did something that it's schoolboy dreams, OK? And there's so much luck involved in becoming a professional footballer, you know? Um and, you know, no one can ever take that away from me, no matter what. But I think it's also important to be humble about it. And I think, John, what you've probably seen um, in that maybe small snapshot of that game and, and the dressing room was, it's a dressing room. And you had the bit of banter, you had the laughs and jokes, boys taking the piss at each other. But see, when you stepped across that white line, you know, we all stuck together. We were all encouraging. We wanted to do well. We want, we, you know, we wanted to win. You know, because it was that, still that competitiveness. Because we're, you know, as males, we, you know, it brings that out. We want to win. You know, we were playing Celtic that day. They wanted to win, but the game was played in the right spirits between, you know, your ex-pros lending that guidance and uh, experience and intelligence and talking, and then you had obviously yourselves with, you know, just being part of it. Playing with, you know, players that you supported and you shouted on, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, and and it, it brought everybody closer. And and I think if anything, what you take out of it is, you know, you made a friend, and you also realise that you know what these guys are down there. They're not untouchable. They do have feelings. They do try and do the right things. They do support, and you you just understood a little bit more of what we're like as as as, as people. We're just normal. Just normal, but we did something that we loved. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That that links us in nicely. We we're going to kind of come on to your career as well. So you spoke about being kind of fortunate enough to have a kind of good playing career. Mm-hmm. When did you have an idea that that was an option for you? Like when did you feel, yeah, this could be a, a possibility? You know what? It's a difficult one because, like. When I was young, I, I trained with numerous clubs, you know, and opportunities to sign. It was before, obviously, the, the academies that we have now. You know, the, the facilities and the way the structure is just now is fantastic. It's maybe not 100% right. I think there's maybe tweaks that still can be done in terms of, you know, when they sign and the too young to sign, you know, because I signed an S form, which was at 14, but I didn't actually sign mine till nearly 15 and a half, you know, because I, I enjoyed training with other clubs, understanding other clubs, and basically wanting to see what other clubs were like because to try and make me a better player, I just felt that, you know, getting exposure to better players, different coaches, different ideas would, would benefit my career. Um, so I didn't actually say my S form like maybe most players did at 14. Um, but I think from the early part, you know, from the youth team at Aberdeen, I think there's, there's little periods where, you know, it's daunting, you know. It's a it's a big step uh, going from a 16 year old to trying to get in. First of all, the youth team under 18s, and then the reserves, and you know, hopefully then the first team. You know, I think that the percentage rate is is less than one percent, which says it all that don't, don't actually make it. Um, but I think 
what I always had or what I always believed in was to try and be consistent. Um, you know, if I could sort of try and play the way I trained, um, or sorry, train the way I played um, and take that into every game and, and try and learn, I think the consistency over the season, you know, any player, I think, you know, if you're playing a 38-game season, let's say if you had two or three dodgy games, but by and large the rest are all consistently well, you know, I'm talking six, sevens, if we're talking about statistics and papers, you're getting six and sevens every week. You're consistently doing well. You know, you're doing a good job. But I was always that type of player to do that. And I remember, I must have been, it was Roy Aitken, it was a manager um, at the time. And there was myself and I think there was five others. And it was near that end of the season. And we all had to go in to find out, are you getting kept on, you know, on your YTS? Um, are you going to get a new year's contract uh, or two years contract whichever it may have been and I think um, well, I don't think I know the first five in all got released and I was the six and I'm saying to myself I don't want to go in I don't want to go in uh, you know because I'd convinced myself already I'm not getting a new contract here you know 16 and a half 17 uh, yeah, I would have been 17 thinking oh no here we go um, and to be brutally honest, shitting yourself. You know, you've seen some of your mates that you've maybe trained with from 12 year old and you've been in digs with, you know, you've spent a good part of the year full time with, and they get let go. And I'm talking good players, you know, really good players, maybe players that are better quality than me, technically better, um, maybe better all round players. And I went in and it was Roy Aitken and, and he sat us down and he says, you know, how am I? And I think it was the first time I actually swore. I went and I told him, <laughs> shitting myself. And, you know, you know, it, you look back, Roy Aitken, it was a big bear, Celtic legend, Celtic captain, you know, manager Aberdeen. He was a, you know, he was a colossus guy, you know, the, the whole figure of him. And, I, and he went, listen, listen, it's fine. He says, this is the hardest part of the job, you know, for him. You know, it wasn't telling a first-team player that it's time to move on, you're on the transfer list. He says it was that young player, 16, 17, 18, and he had to let them go because he knew that, you know, some players hadn't fully developed, right? They would, you know, another year or two, but he couldn't do it. Um, and, he, and it was the first thing he'd said to me was that, you know, speaking with other coaches, and the youth team coaches, obviously, at the time, um, you know, you've been consistent, You've been consistent in your performance. You know, you've played this position and then you've had to move to this position, but you've consistently stuck in. You've worked hard. Um, you know, you've played well and you've looked to try and improve. And as quick as a flash, he had a contract out. He went, so I'm going to give you a new two-year contract. He says, you're on this money just now. I'm going to give you an extra 25 quid extra on your hipper. Fantastic. You sign there. Get him up to your desk. Go and tell your man that. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I'm paying it, you know, 25 quid extra, you know, back then, you know, it's, it's nothing, you know what I mean? It's, it's nothing that meant the world that wasn't the money. It was, you're still wanted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're still wanted. And then I think that's then where you start having that belief because I think then it gives you that sort of chest out puffed uh, uh, puffed uh, chest puffed out um, sort of scenario and you're going into the new season you want to get a solid pre-season 
and you want to play. So then you start getting into that reserve game, and you think, yes, I'm on the squad, I'm in the squad for the reserve game, just played on a, I think back then it was the youth team games, the Monday or the Tuesday, the reserve game on the Saturday when the, the first team are away, or I think it eventually changed again, but you're getting in the squad or reserves, and you say to yourself, I want to play, and then you start getting in, you're playing reserves, and you're playing weekend, week out, and for me, I went from obviously playing youth team, um, coming out of the youth team, playing reserves, and captain of reserves, um, you know, we had quite a, we had a very successful youth team, in fact, mm-hmm. in terms of actual players that progressed from it, to actually the first team squad, um, so you just get that, and then you start getting that bit, you know, where you're playing more reserve games, and you're then training with the first team, you know, you're training with them most of the week and then you start getting into that squad and then you're asking that question and it's, it's almost a no-space question where it's like, I want to play. I deserve to be playing because, you know, the boys aren't doing so good and the team are losing and I want to play because you're fearless, you know, but also at the same time, you also know that, okay, experience tells you now that when a team's struggling, you know, managers are then reluctant to maybe play the younger kids, you know, but you keep pushing it and you're pushing it and eventually you get that break and you start making sub-appearances, you're getting on the bench more and you get a wee start here and then that just keeps driving you and and that's what I find, it just kept driving me to, to wanting to do well, wanting to play week in, week out and, you know, eventually, you know, you know, um, you get your chance, you take it and, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's football, you know. Yeah, you got a nice, a nice start with your first game when you go off the bench to play against Viduka and Wright, eh? Um, you had Viduka and Wright, you had, uh, well, Larson was there, wasn't he? You had Maracic, you had um, Lambert and Burley just holding the midfield area. Uh, yeah, <laughs> giants at the back. <laughs> I think last night had a broken leg at that point, but you still had to continue with Mark Viduka. But Mark Viduka, you had Ian Wright. Um, there was someone else. Actually, I'm trying to think who the other striker was. Maybe Tommy Johnson, maybe. Possibly. Possibly. To be honest, I try and blank out any hammering that we get by Celtic, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, I took a few, to be fair. I took a few. Um, but. No, let's say you get that opportunity and, um, you know, it's, it's schoolboy dreams. You know, it's it's a very difficult thing to explain um, unless you've actually achieved it. But, you know, I just lived out schoolboy dreams. I wanted to play football. Um, and from that moment, when, you know, if I played one game or I ended up playing 300 and odd games, nobody could take that away. I did what I achieved and, and, and that was it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, fond memories, fond memories, but yeah, very difficult. Um, it's very difficult, ups and downs along the way. Um, seeing you know good teammates and friends having to go, and you try and follow them and see what they do. And some take a step back to come two steps forward, which happened with a couple of them. Some just step back and just find their level and had a relatively good career at that level. And some just come out of football together and 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 pursued other interests. You know. Um, in the, in, the, in the normal environment, normal working environment, and and, and doing um, full time jobs as such, um, and being successful at that as well. But you know, for me, when you look back at the the whole the whole picture of it, you know, the, there's a lot of luck involved, and uh, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you obviously recover for that um, nightmare nightmare of a start, not from you personally, but the team. But obviously, but. You came through probably a good time because Aberdeen at that point, the league 
hadn't been good for a couple of years. It was, I think, it was sixth, sixth, seventh, tenth. Um, when you made your break, uh, that was also mm-hmm. when you got your first couple of games, and then you and a few others like Russell uh, Anderson and uh, the the young brothers, uh, Kevin McNaughton, all started. Dan Mackey all started coming through together, and gradually, yeah. it was actually so. Um, we'd actually sunk that low that I think seventh place in 0102. So so. Um, 2000, 2001 was seen as progression and then obviously you finished fourth and got you for cup so just tell us about yeah, the yeah. team spirit you had at that point and it got you all through I think you know you're right what you said but, um, was a, I think it was a very transitional period for Aberdeen and I think when you look back um, even through the successful eras of Aberdeen and, and Dundee United to that extent it was you know the new firm and they were renowned for bringing through young players um, and I think for Aberdeen, they had a period of, you know, maybe two or three, maybe four years where, you know, there was just maybe one or two coming through, and it was the, the like, sort of shining light in a in a team that, um, you know, yeah, they did struggle. You know, they didn't struggle deliberately, but you know, if you look at some of the teams that, you know, the Rangers team particularly, and the Celtic team, how strong and dominant they were, and that transitional period where Aberdeen, you know. I think we went through different managers and then you had a, a sort of conveyor belt of players coming in and players leaving, so there was no real stability. And I think when you look at the youth team, you know, the players that come through in my youth team, the, the, the first wave, um, because Kevin and, and Darren was slightly later and Andy Considine was three or four years, maybe five years after that, with Andrew Diamond and things like that. But that first wave you had... You know, Darren Young sort of coming through, David Rilson, I think Jamie Buckin as well had a, a few games. Um, Ryan Essen come through, myself, uh, Russell, um, Derek Young, um, then we had Christ, Kevin, Dan Mackey, um, even other players, you know, Stephen Payne going back, you know, it, it still played for Aberdeen. Um, Scott Muirhead, I don't know if you remember these names, but they, they, they played during that sort of 2000, 2001, Kevin Rukovic, 2001. So to have, you know, a youth team where I think, I think actually, you might have to check your stats, John, and I know how you like your stats, but I think we played Hibs at home. Um, I think we lost 2-0 or 2-1. I think, I want to say Didier Gap scored. Or Russell Latapi scored and Mixu Patalainen scored. So you, you you look at how good Russell Latapi was, you see how successful Didier Gat was, he then moved on to Celtic and Patalainen, former Aberdeen Dun United, you know, great striker. You know, they they're a strong team hips at that time. But I think our Aberdeen team was one of the youngest in the SPL at that time. And that game in particular, I think we maybe averaged something like twenty years. 20.2 years or 20 point, whatever the, the average age of the whole team was, the starting team that day. Um, so it shows you how young a lot of us were. And I think what you what you got at that stage was you had a lot of fearless players um, where, you know, some games things really clicked and we looked, you know, really good. And then some games, obviously that inconsistency, the, the age, um, the youthfulness, the inexperience that we had, you know, we, we, we've got punished from other teams, but it was the start of the transition period where we had the experience ones just around us, um, and we were maybe the legs. You look at sort of Derek White, uh, Robbie Winters, Carl Gunt, Roberto Visconti, you know, these types of players, you know, 
had played at the higher level, had that experience. So we had them to sort of rely on, and they kind of just kept us, you know, grounded and 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 helped us through games. Um, so we kind of complemented um, each other in that way. Um, and I think for the Aberdeen team under Ed Scovedale, and certainly the year that we played, we, we finished to qualify for Europe. We knew right at the start and how we we planned in the pre-season. We weren't a team that were going to dominate every game. But what we did have was we had pace and we were a very good counter-attacking team. If you look back at the games that we played, you know, yes, there are games where we dominated and we won and we got the game early, but there was probably a lot of games where we stayed in the game and that pace that we had in the team, that youthfulness um, with the experience, we counter-attacked teams very well um, and scored some very good goals. And I think if I was to use Robbie Winters for an example during that year, I think Robbie maybe finished up on, you know, double figures for goals um, but he also assisted something similar as well um, so he, he brought that to his game and that, that helped us having a player that was able to put the ball in the back of the net but also create goals um, so I think the year before maybe Arold Stavrum again 20 odd goals but we still finished low in the league that year you know um, so I think that was the start of that togetherness um, and we, we, you know, we did a lot together because um, it was such a young team. You know, we, you spend a lot of lot of time together through the training, travelling uh, to away games and so forth. Um, so we just had that sort of fearlessness and youthfulness that we wanted to drive and do well. And we believed that we could, and just a mixture of better players coming in, uh, new signings with experience, really, really, really helped us that year. Um, and uh, you know. Subsequently finished uh, fourth in the league, which was the highest at that point, and what Aberdeen had, had done for quite a number of years. So I think that was quite a quite an achievement, um, and I think quite quickly, you know, the, the the disappointing factor after that was, you know, we had some great games in Europe. You know, we, uh, you remember the the, the Hertha Berlin game was hugely unfortunate to go. Th- to, to go out that night um, narrowly losing to you know that, that's like you know, it's a massive club Hertha Berlin um, but the team then started to be dismantled at that stage you know we, I think we maybe lost Derek White that season as well um, I think we possibly lost Robbie Winters as well Robbie went to Norway at that point Cato went to Norway Thomas Soberg went to Norway so we, we, we lost the real ex- Roberto played actually that year. Um, don't get me wrong, he played, um, so he still had that bit of experience. But we we lost that, you know, maybe spine of the team, um, and I think you know that we we did we did relatively kind of struggle towards um, towards the end of that season. I know there was a few significant points throughout the season where we could have done this or we could have done that. Um, but we changed managers again. Sorry, I'm, I'm back here. I alluded to the fact that you know, changing, changing managers throughout the season, you know, it's always difficult because managers have got their own ideas. They've got, the, you know, how they want to implement the squad. They want maybe players that don't fit into their mould is what they want. They want players to come in. So, it, you know, it is a difficult period. And it is, again, it's a transitional period. Um so it wasn't as as successful that that next year, um, and I think it then took to the 2004-2005 season where again we changed manager, uh, and, and Jimmy Calder would come in, and 
he brought a, a different way of training, um, a more European approach, you know, hard work, but, but, you know, he, he'd obviously coached in Holland, but he had his ideas and he set his team up far more tactically. Um, cause I actually find myself, um, you know, if I played three games at centre half, I then played three games at sweeper, and then I then played three games at holding midfielder, and I had maybe two games at a fullback. So I was, you know, it was good for me because I was playing every week, but I was able to, you know, expand my game. Um, but it was very tactical in that sense. And what we then got actually was, you know, again one or two players coming in just to make that bits improvements, but we still had the foundations of that team from two, three, four years ago that we kind of grew together um, and you know we had uh, you know had a very successful start I don't think we actually conceded in the first five games or something um, and we, we finished in the top half of the league again which we hadn't done um, for the last you know year or two uh, which, which which was much much better um, and it started that consistency change and getting the um, consistent results week in week out and pushing for the for the higher positions and subsequently they then went I think from more strength to strength. I know there was down points that John you'll see you know, semi final defeats um, which was after my time but I think by and large it started the that cycle to where the Aberdeen are now and that, that sort of success that we've had or we've had over that last sort of thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years now, you know. Yeah, I mean, you obviously um, touch about how the progression went amongst the the, the younger players, and for yourself, um, there was rumours that you were going to get called up for Scotland. There was a big rumour that you were going to go to Celtic. So, um, have to bring this back. Um, how close was the um, the Celtic move to happening? Um, <laughs> politically, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was very close. Um, I think it's a combination um, of. Uh, Results, uh, sorry, talks throughout a period of time. I think the, the first interest was the season before, and then I kind of progressed, you know, towards the end of the season, into the close season, then into, you know, that transfer window period where, again, you can only sign players within a certain date. And I think, you know, that week, um, a lot was agreed, a lot wasn't agreed. Um, what was certain was I wasn't playing on the Thursday in the Europe. <laughs> I know that. Uh, because they had phoned me and told us obviously that clubs have pretty much agreed everything. Um, but I think the restrictions were obviously at that time if I'd played, I would have been cut tied for the European competitions. And so I was, a, I think it was the last day. Yeah, it would have been, I think it was the last day of the window. Um, so I got that call and then I think I got another call about we had an early kickoff. I think it was for TV I'm sure it was an early kickoff. it certainly wasn't a, a 7.30 or an 8 o'clock for a European game I think it might have even been like a 6 or a half 6 I don't know why but I think it was broadcast for I was Nistro Atachi do you remember that game I think Dan and Mackie could go yeah, home I remember yeah uh, and I got a call literally about an hour and a half before the game to say, again, because you're playing. And I'm like, right. I didn't know anything. Um, couldn't get a hold of anybody. Went down. I got told that the, 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 the game passed me by, to be honest. I, I don't, I, I know I've said there, and it'd be 1 1 0 and Dan Mackey scored, but I, I, I don't even remember the game. 
it just one of these things that just went past him and that was it you know I then spoke with the club uh, later that week and I signed a new three year contract um, and that was it you know I, I don't look back on things and say what if uh, me it's, you know, I was happy I signed a new contract if I didn't I wasn't happy when I signed it simple as that you know so yeah I think it was a lot of to and fro throughout that week um, and uh, yeah it was emotional up and down but it is what it is uh, well we're certainly glad you didn't go to Celtic but uh, when you think back about your time at Aberdeen um, who were the be- who were the ones that put in the most dressing room pranks oh my god nice. um, yeah I think there's uh, over the years I think there's there's always there's different eras there's different things that happened you know I mean you go back to, you know, Dino, Dean Windass and Dodsey were the ones that played pranks on people. Um, there were, you know, even when the young ones coming in, you know, you know Dan Mackey's and things. Maybe Dan got more pranks played on him. Uh, Kevin Rukovic. Um, Hisham as well. He played, not that, not that he played much pranks. He just, he just was the, the prank at times. But, yeah, we went through different phases. There was all different things. But, you know, cups above the door and being, being sellotaped to the door with water filled. And you're thinking that players are coming in. And uh, I think one day Stuart Milne got it. So that was, <laughs> everybody quite quickly went away, just looked, put their head to the ground and thought, I'm not looking up here because one, they didn't want to piss themselves laughing and two, they didn't want to be the, the fall of who got it. But to be fair, he, he took it in, in good stead uh, and good good, good play um, for Stuart. But um, yeah, there's all, I mean, at different stages, there was always different pranks. Um, I probably couldn't name every single prank that got played. There's maybe, there's maybe ones that are okay for the radios, maybe ones that certainly shouldn't be mentioned anywhere near a, a private conversation. But uh, yeah, it all, it all varied, let's say, from um, being sellotaped in the treatment room to the, the, the treatment tables. You know, that's, 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 that's a good one. It's also so attractive to take that sellotape off when you're, you're pinned from the head right down to your feet and, and uh, really thick um, masking tape, uh, tight <laughs> strapping tape stuff. Um, other things, you know, I don't even think they've got them now, was the, the, the pulse machines used to have um, little electricity, you know, players that were, had a specific injury, you would get the, the pulses attached to the muscle and, you know, you get the um, current put through and it would obviously tense the muscle and work it and get the blood flowing, but we probably took that a bit further and <laughs> started blasting it up and people's legs going into spasms or <laughs> pinning it to people's heads and faces and all that. So you can imagine these things you just don't get away with now. Um, all, all different things, cutting cutting um, some players, you know, if they had horrendous stress ends, you know, you could quite often find a pair of their trousers or their, their fur jackets uh, pinned to the um, the boards or sellotaped or cut in half or on certain occasions, you know, where the flags are at Pitodri, you know, where the everything's obviously at the far side and they've got the SBL flag and stuff. There was one or two occasions where guys would find a gear um, attached to that at the very, very highest point of that flag. So, <laughs> um, yeah, deep heat in the, in the pants was a, was a favourite. Um, Trainers glued to the floor, uh, all sorts, all sorts. 
Did you ever think about doing one to the manager? Um, I don't know. I depend on who he was feeding to. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had, yeah, I think never really one to depend on. First of all, it would depend on the manager. Um, <laughs> we used to have one. Uh, do you know what we should have? It should have got auctioned off um, during Ebb's time. Um, you'll be familiar with some of uh, Ev Scovedal's quotes after games. Statistics and miniskirts. Yeah, statistics are like miniskirts. They, they 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 show a lot behind everything that you want type things. Or what was the other one he, he used to come out with? Oh, there, was, there was that many, um, but the you know the, the operation was a success, but the patient died uh, type thing. So. <laughs> Throughout the season, we used to have a table uh, in the dressing room, and I, I think just through time, you know, the backing was pulled off, so it kind of left like a like a sponge type um, felt on the table. And for some, I don't know who started it, but I think it got started with a picture um, of the manager, and then quite quickly, every week or every day, any quote that just did not make sense or was funny and it got input onto this table. So by the end of the season, there must have been hundreds of different quotes. Um, you know, things like put sand in the machinery because it will stop it turning. You know, you're thinking, what? <laughs> I could stand in, standing on the, the same spot. <laughs> he would say, you know, move from that spot. You're standing there like a wedding's dick. And I'm thinking, wedding's dick? Obviously, it's, it's when a man and woman get married and on, on the wedding night, you know, it's as stiff as a wedding's dick. A degree in, in, in reverse psychology to know some of this stuff, you know. Um, so we used to put all the quotes that he said over the season, and then one, one day he come in, and he, he was obviously oblivious what was actually there, and I think he he actually looked, and um, I think he said to Stuart Hogg, you know, he was a fitness trainer at the time, he was like, he was reading, and he went, fucking hell. That's everything that I've said. Playing the old final season. <laughs> oh, that must have took about eight months to realise it. Um, but yeah, there's all, all different things that we played. You know, even canteens and putting them. Um, um, I think I maybe did one with Ebb, which was the salt shaker, and he was quite fond of a wee bit of salt in his in his dinner, and um, just unscrewing the top. <laughs> so you can imagine we're all waiting at this moment and he just goes to put the salt in and then there's <laughs> no plate full of salt and you've never seen 20 guys quickly get up and just leave the, the canteen and walk away pissing themselves <laughs> so yeah there was maybe that one but there was plenty of others um, go for a coffee I think Ev was uh, got caught a few times with the coffee and you know the polystyrene cups and just a wee hole in it <laughs> so by the time walking up and fucking coffee just... <laughs> he, used to, he, he used to have his uh, he would he would speak obviously Danish and swear in Danish and speak everything else in English you know uh, and so there's all there's all different jokes played um, that's for sure 
we've got some other kind of questions. We could talk about your career probably for ages because obviously there's all the other stuff as well. But we've got some fun stuff to ask as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, off here, you'd kind of mention about your drinking a wee beer. What's your favourite beer? Um, my favourite beer, I would probably go with uh, yeah, a, a bud, a bud or a Coors. Bud or a Coors. Mm. I and mean, maybe a wee brew dog in there. It's a good dog as well. I like that. Get the, get the, get the publicity out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they could donate something for the charity game, that'd be nice. <laughs> well, I've certainly asked them. I've certainly asked them. But yeah, beer, uh, that would be my choice. Um, I quite like a wee red wine, a wee white wine. Um, got a wee, con- yep. wee contact in Italy. Uh, produces that stuff, so it's quite good that we've, we've found over the last few months. So, yeah, we've had to invest in a a few cases of that um, yeah. and just recently the wife got us into a little bit of gin just to take the edge off I believe so, I, can't yeah. that. I can't drink gin I can drink most things but I, I think as far as gin drinkers go it's it's one gin um, ironically it's from Brewdog as well it's called Lone Wolf and um, I'm looking for a wee uh, a wee advertisement here hopefully get a few cases of that since I've I will all try that <laughs> Keep, keep mentioning them and we'll see if we can get the, the Brewdog SFF podcast. Yes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have put myself at the top end of the gin. I think it's just a gin with lemonade and, and uh, a cut of lime in it. You know, that's about it. So yeah. Yeah, if, that, if that qualifies as me as a gin drinker, then that's me. I'm a gin drinker as well. I'm so, a rum man. I'm a rum. Mm-hmm. Um, aye, so see in terms of, kind of football side of things, did mm-hmm. you ever have to sign an initiation song when you signed for any teams? No, um, let me think. Did I? Oh yeah, tell a lie, Doncaster, Doncaster. Um, I had to do an initiation song, and we had it was just myself and Michael McIndoe. He was there. Um, was there another Scottish lad? Uh, Jock McSporran. He wasn't even. He wasn't even Scottish. He was English. <laughs> Brilliant name, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, look that name up. Bye, uh, Jockey McSporran. Um, no, I sang my initiation song was um, because I was pretty dominated by England. I thought, why not? And it was a flower of Scotland, which was quickly, was quickly um, volleyed of abuse um, <laughs> along the lines of "use when I call," um, balls getting smashed at me. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that was. Uh, I think I sang about thirty seconds of that. Yeah. But singing's no my strongest point, put it that way. Was it Jermaine McSporran? I, I just remember that name from Football Manager. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly it. He played up front. He was so far removed from Scotland, it was, it was unbelievable. How Where that name come from, I do not know. I do not know. Um, crazy, crazy. Did you have any footballing idols growing up? Yeah, I did. Um, I think um, my era was uh, I liked uh, Cantona. Um, I just yeah, yeah, just different class um, at that time. Um, I remember going to see Alan Shearer live, um, and it was I was Shearer and that Mike Newell maybe because not Chris Sutton FDS um, when Blackburn won the league. That year, ninety four, maybe ninety five. Seen here then, it was just fantastic. Um, I think again, so, so I was never, you know, growing up, I wasn't a defender. 
I was I didn't play defence at all, um, which a lot of people don't quite understand. I used to play off the front um, or up top, but and subsequently got into midfield. Uh, used to score barrel loads, so I was always attacking players. It's that classic saying. I think Jamie Carragher said it a few years ago. Nobody goes up want to be a Gary Neville. Do you know what I mean? It's all, <laughs> it's, it's all the player players and so forth. So I when I went to Aberdeen, I just went back for a game, and then it kind of. Spiraled out of control today. I really end up playing the next game there, and I got asked to play. I just kept playing there. That's kind of how it happened because I always kind of played midfield up front, and so it was it kind of helped me in a way because we're playing up front and and having that movement. I kind of knew some of the striking movement and defensively that kind of helped us that way. Um, so I was always the flair players, you know, Canton as your shearers, um, Zidane, the early Zidane's obviously. And also like your Stoichkovs and your Marios oh, and the first thing you know you could go on the yeah. endless amount of talent and I think every day you know you guys would have been the same growing up you know you go out to play World Cup here and it was like yes. you what yeah and you made sure you, and you were absolutely yeah. if someone said before you were like then <laughs> <laughs> think have to be, and if, you know, if you end up being the fifth or sixth person, you're thinking, right, who am I going to be? Because I don't know any other players. <laughs> <laughs> Try to recreate the goals as well that you've seen. It was, I was no different um, from that from that aspect. Um, growing up, you know, I had had a number of players I, I, I really admired and watched, and you know, watched football, and you know, I wasn't a I wasn't a player. You know, I, I grew up kind of kind of watching all types of football, English and Scottish, so you kind of broadens your horizon, and it's the same now when, you know, I'm watching a game, you know, I don't support anyone uh, in particular, I just watch loads of football, but I've probably lost that, what you guys have, where you're a fan, Um, I'm not a fan, you know, every game I watch, you spend the game kind of analysing it, and picking up points, and how you well, that, could, that happens with us. That's a that was a good move. You know, you analyse the game. That's, that's just how I am. I was a coach. It's totally different. So I don't have that um, enjoyment and excitement and the ups and downs that, that a, a fan has uh, throughout a game. Now, um, but you know, yeah, I, I do take in a lot of games, and I had you know guys that I liked to watch when I was when I was younger. And likewise, ones ones today. As a, as a manager, then, um, if you were to name a one eleven of players that you've played with, name it. Oh, brilliant! Oh, that's that's a hard one. That is hard, Chris. Could be here all night, right? So, I think goalkeeper wise, um, oh, Chris, I won't upset people here, but Chris, it's opinions. We're getting back to that opinions again. <laughs> I've actually played, with, you know, a lot of really good goalkeepers. Um, I think remembering, you know young days training and seeing even like I remember Theo Snelders would have been at the time training you know I was also a young boy training with Aberdeen at 10 maybe 11 you know seeing that but when I was actually playing you know I played you know Ryan Essam was goal David Priest was in goal um, Tony Warner do you remember him come on Tony Warner hi Liverpool yeah do you remember him at come on? Was it Elich? Was it Elich? Goalkeeper. Ah, Elich that used to play for Charlton. Yeah. yeah. He was on loan. Um, Peter Keir, fantastic yeah, goalkeeper. Yeah. He was the Danish number two to, he went to the World Cups, Danish number two to Peter Schmeichel. You know, he couldn't get a game because Peter Schmeichel was in his, in his way. Um, but then, Jim Layton is a legend. So I think for me, um, 
you know, Jim was Jim took a lot of pressure off the back four. Um, you know, I, I think Jim got he got a lot of stick at times for his kicking. You know, that was one that wasn't his strong points, but it didn't let him phase him. He, he always just says, "Listen, give me the ball. I'll, I'll clear it. if it goes in the stand of the McKeon. You know, it's cleared. We deal with that next." And he just brought so much confidence to, to defence because you knew that you know with him in goal he could be the difference between winning and losing, conceding and not conceding. You know, it was just that good and his his work rate and desire and it's a testament to himself and you know, and the legend that he is to go on in the amount of caps with ninety ninety six ninety one Scotland caps. He's um been involved in European trophies, won European Cups, he's played at the highest level internationally, he's been at United, Aberdeen, you know. So for me it would be probably Jim Leighton and go. Um cool. he would be that one. Uh, pick yourself by the way. back four, oh Christ, back four. Christ, that's a difficult one with a go back four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we might need a podcast for this one. <laughs> No, I'll go back three. How's that? I'll go back three. Um, and I'll go back three of... And I'm not going to pick myself, actually. But I'm going to go back three of Russell. Um, Xander. And Derek White. That's my back three. Yep. Um, all aggressive players, all ball winners, um, good defenders, consistently did well, had good careers. Um, wing backs, I would have four. No, he was really good at left wing back um, and left back, but I was going back a number of years with, remember Sanko Svetnov? Yeah. Oh, yes. Right, the Bulgarian. I think he was, I think. That was maybe not the best time for Aberdeen, but he was consistent. Um, I thought, uh, you know, he, he was a good defender. I think you could also put um, Jamie McAllister into that role um, as a wing-back. Um, am I just restricting us to Aberdeen here? Or any any, any teams you played for? Anyone you played with? Okay. Um, oh, Christ. A difficult one. It is a difficult one. I still think, you know what I'll maybe do on that? I would maybe pop, um, I think I'd maybe pop Kevin, Kevin McNaughton at right wing back. Yeah. Um, left wing back. Hmm, that's a difficult one. Um, Jamie McAllister, a good left foot. You know what I put there? I'd probably put Stephen Glass as a left wing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Did they let you ride his bike? What's that? Did they let you ride his bike? The Coca Cola one. Oh, when the Coca Cola. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what he did with that. Uh, <laughs> so I'll put them there. So that can, yes, it is predominantly Aberdeen. It's maybe a wee bit easier doing Aberdeen. Oh, um, I think in the centre of the park. Um, I would have Bisconti. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. He had that season that we had him, he was absolutely fantastic in there. Um, really good, really good player. Um, I think 
again. That many midfielders, because that's a hard one. That is a hard one. Um, midfield, Roberto in there. Um, maybe pop in like Paul Green at Doncaster. He went on to Leeds, Derby County, um, subsequently Crew from Doncaster. He was a great, he was a great box to box midfielder. I would pop him in there. Um, who else? Gary Mason was good. Darren Young was good in there. Um, remember Craig Hignett? Yep, yep. Good. Yeah, good in there. Um, Dean Windass could go in there. I know you go up top. Let's just try to get that formation. Yes, yes, could play in there. Would you play him off the front? Is he? <laughs> yeah. I would say who else could I play in there? Carl Goodnight was very good in there, um, but I think because he comes through at the same time as me, I'd probably maybe pop Darren Young in there, just into that midfield three. Um, I think they all complement each other, which then leaves a big issue up front um, because even Jess would be in there. He would certainly be in that in that team um, just off the front. Um, and I think getting bombs out of seat, Hisham could be in there, but top heavy Arrow Stabham could be in there, Robbie Winters. Um, I think, I think for his career, um, I think for the goals that he scored, um, I think I would pop Robbie in there. And I'm going to give you my subs because I need to give you subs. Yeah. Just so, <laughs> so in case you get start getting text messages, uh, how come I'm not on your team? <laughs> I think you would have uh, Dino in there. Um, I think you would have Hisham in there. You would have Arold in there. Arold Starrow scored goals. Scored goals for one. Um, I would also put in Paul Heffernan. What a goal scorer he was! Um, I think he ended up at Hibs. He was at Doncaster. Um, as a penalty box striker, he was fantastic. Um, and no short attacking options there, fella. I like it. Um, Jimmy Calder would score that. Yeah, oh, he was, he was good. I'm trying to think of Scotland team. Michael Stewart was good. Uh, Barry Ferguson, think, yeah, there's a few. Um, oh, I need five subs, don't I? You know, Dino, Husham, Arnold. Who else did I say? Heffernan. No, do you know who I liked actually? Um, and, he's, and he's had a great play, and I, and I probably put another defender in there. Um, and his experience, his knowledge, um, how he is as a person, and there's lots of people that fit this too. I'd probably put in Nipper, Scott Thompson, at Dunfermline with me. Yes. Happening. 
You know, he was, he was a right leader. He motivated. He brought people together, and especially that time when I was there, because he was out with a serious injury. But he always felt his presence in that dressing room. He was a firm on there, and I would put Nipper in there. Um, so yeah, this, this, listen, I could probably go and pick another fifteen, you know, and make it more players of other clubs. You know, missing out like Scott Wilson, Mark Burchill, Gary Mason, and Callum Wood, Sol Gamba. Um, Doris DeVries, uh, Adam Rooney, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's loads, there's loads. Um, and that's what we put you in the spot. And yeah, we've been taking names in the national ones that, you know, you know Kenny Miller, um, Michael Stewart, uh, Gary Caldwell, um, yeah, yeah there's, there's a fair few there. There's a fair few there. You could probably say you could ask any player. I think you could probably pick your four teams, you know. But I'd go with that because I quite like the balance of it. You know, the left footers were the left footers. That you had that bit of work rate. You had a bit of versatility in there. You had the, you know, the JSs and and things that could just get bums off seats. Natural, natural ability and talent. You had good midfielders, control the game, um, hard workers, a fantastic goalkeeper. Yeah, I think I've done reasonably well for you. Put me on the spot. Yeah, well, certainly, um, if you keep up this work, then um, you might get Derek's job in a couple of years when his contract runs out. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, I think we'd better wrap this before um, we end up in extra, extra time. Um, but this has been, this has just been brilliant. Um uh, thanks for making up for the missing podcast that was our error. <laughs> no, not a problem. And um, certainly get back on. Maybe, maybe, maybe after the the first charity game, I could uh, maybe we could do a a little cheeky player review match. Definitely, Aye. Yeah, definitely. And we must also point out that uh, one of the raffle prizes we got is a signed shirt um, by yourself. Um, that, that obviously must have brought back a lot of memories for Team Maguire. So that'll be a good win for someone. <laughs> Do you know what, John? No word of a lie. I was at my my ma's last week, um, and um, I was a week before, and I was in just for the young lad because they wanted to come see my mum and dad, but they were out at the at the doctors or something. So the wee lad was playing with the train set, and for some reason my mum had got out some old tops, and and one of them was um, the CIS Cup uh, Celtic '99, my top. Um, and there was another one that was the, I think it was the AFAB, no, was it AFAB? ADT uh, sponsor. Oh, yes, uh-huh. 2005. I don't know why, don't ask, like, and I'm looking at this thing, I'm thinking, hell, that's massive. I mean, I wasn't the biggest back then, you know, I'm a bit big now, but <laughs> I wasn't the biggest back then, so I, I quickly had a cheeky, I popped it on, and I'm thinking, Christ, it fits me perfect now, so God knows what it was like then. It must have been just like a baggy shell suit, you know what I mean? But that was the days I'm looking at. It was like double XL and all that, and I was 21, 22 year old. <laughs> I'm thinking, these things are massive. I don't know why they just get one at fetus, because when I look back at pictures, I think that was just what it was in them days. You just had to wear oversized football tops, you know what I mean? Whereas now, it's all streamlined and it just chisels off the body and things. You know, try to put that on now, you, you probably see the 12-pack that I've got stuck in the fridge now, didn't they? So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was funny. Um, but no, it's, it's no problems in terms of the top. And like I say, it's all for charity. So whether it's whether it's a tenner or whether it's a hundred quid, it all goes to good causes and it's, it's what counts on the day. 
yeah, definitely. And we're looking forward to the the twenty ninth of March. And well, um, I'm, um, I'm I'm starting my vegan diet some point next week, <laughs> and I'll maybe start joining training just to get a bit of base fitness. I've actually got three games this year actually because two's with back on side, and I've got another one up in Aberdeen. And I'm the captain of uh, the team for the Cash for Kids. So again, it's all it's all charity work, and it's all important. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, we're certainly looking forward to your presence the 28th and Jamie come along and the other boys. And uh, I hope you um, had a wee cheeky word with uh, Mr. Connor on Thursday night to say, um, get in my back pocket. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, I let him, uh, he took some of the, the striker stuff uh, just at the end, uh, which was great. Again, just a, a fresh face, um, new dynamics, new ideas, and, you know, the, the, the forward thing players, you know, the five or six that we had working with them, I think they were very appreciative of it and it's great for, you know, like Zagari to come out and, and, and first of all discuss with, you know, our young team, um, the, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of the football life and the ups and downs because Gary's seen it all as well and been part of it and it was, it was very open and frank what he discussed but also to then switch on to, to training mode and come out and, and lend his experience to to our team was 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 was, was fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and you want to add John before we finish? <laughs> no, we, we could be here. I think we could probably be here till about midnight. It's great listening to all your stories, and yeah. um, I'm sure we have many more as well when you we get your nets back on. We'll, we'll save some for the off the record stuff. Aye, <laughs> definitely. And uh, best of luck for Saturday. Hope the Thanks. game's on first of all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully the, the weather's not been great in the last few weeks, but. I think um, I'm the same as everybody else. I think they just want to get playing and get games played. Um, but hopefully the weather, you know, doesn't trip to too much this week. You know, hopefully it's uh, it's drier. Um, although it doesn't look too great, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, good stuff. Well, cheers again, Phil, and good luck for the weekend. And cheers again, John, as always. Cheers, um, guys. Cheers, Phil. Cheers. Yeah, thank you. Bye, bye.